How are you, church family? Yeah? When I say church family, uh, that's really uh, redundant, I think. Because when we hear the word church, we ought to hear the word family. When we talk about family, it's just the same thing as talking about uh, the church here. So, uh, good morning, church family. But, you know, it's kind of weird because a lot of times we talk about family, some of us get shivers or we just feel super uncomfortable because we go, you know, if you're saying that the church is like a family, man, if you knew my family, you know, I don't want the church to be like my family. They're a wreck, you know, it's just crazy and messy and quirky and you got a weird aunt and hey, welcome to the church, right? And you know, sometimes when you say church, people go, oh man, no way. My, my experience with the church has been anything but like a family. And the reality is, is that, you know, we may have these feelings about uh, being part of the church as a family, and it brings a lot of uh, kind of fearful or negative thoughts, and you say, you know, man, you, you, don't, you don't really know my experience. And I, I just want to paint a picture and cast some hope today. Uh, for what this text that Zoe, thank you, so skillfully read for us. Uh, I think I got this mic on now. Yeah, baby. All right. Beautiful. Love it. Thank you, Zoe, for reading Ephesians chapter 2. It gives us just this, this hope, this picture, this uh, vision for what this could be when we talk about the church being a family. And here's what one... British writer wrote in his interview on family. I love this. Listen, listen to what he says. Think about your family. Think about the River Church as a family together, a spiritual family. He said this, stories in families are colossally important. Every family has stories. Some funny, some proud. Some embarrassing, some shameful. And then get this. Knowing them is proof of belonging to the family. Our families are oftentimes defined by who really knows our stories. And they keep on loving us. Same thing is true in the church. We have stories. Jazz talked about the Komais. We have stories. Some are great and some are not so great. You know, that's just the way families are. But we keep on loving one another. It's hard to be a family today. Harvard prof Robert Putnam wrote a book some years ago called Bowling Alone. He said that we're becoming increasingly disconnected from one another. It's harder to stay together. He calls this social capital. It's the sum total of all the networks that kind of hold you together that provides support, friendship, and love, and help in times of need. He said over the last several decades, club involvement down 50%, family dinners down 43%, having friends over down 35%, church attendance down 33%. He says every 10 minutes of commuting reduces all forms of social capital by 10%. And all the commuters are going, yeah, tell me about it. He says that joining one group cuts in half your odds of dying next year. I mean, it's tough call whether joining a group or quitting smoking. 
would improve your life expectancy more. That's how important he says this connection really is. That's why he says people are bowling more, but they're in leagues less. Huh, Chris? I don't know. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. That's the title of the book. Social capital, these networks of relationships, these webs of connections, it was foundational to the start of the early church. Remember in our Acts series, James preached on Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They gave full attention to the teaching of the apostles and to the common life. That's social capital. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. And they were standing in favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. One of the reasons why that's true is they placed a priority on their common life to social capital. And it was attractive to the world around them. People wanted in. So back to the text that Zoe read. Acts chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, and notice the metaphors. There's a metaphor for citizenship, family, and architecture here. Note them. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Brad led us in that beautiful worship song. Consequently, consequently in the text is to alert you, this is the result of what James preached on two weeks ago in Ephesians 1. Paul's amazing run-on sentence And then what Matt so skillfully led us in last week in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, that we're his workmanship. And Paul is now shifting us from the, this is me and God, to us together. Me to we in this shift. But he wants to build on that prior statement. Consequently, this is the result of this new reality that we live into is the result of, and this, this is the good news. This is the gospel that we're being given. Notice verse 12 again. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. For through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, hostile enemies, we come together and we have our access to the Father by one spirit. But he goes back even further to verse 1 of chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And verse 4, but God... Because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. You were dead. The good news is now we're made alive by Christ. You're doing better than you think. His power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that can indwell us 
for a new life. But not only are we alive, we used to be separate, we were excluded, we were foreigners, we were without hope and without God in the world. But now, because of what Christ has done, we who were excluded are now included. We're welcomed in. No matter who we are, no, no matter what kind of divisions or barriers have previously prohibited, we're welcomed in because in Christ, all those divisions can and must be broken down. So for Paul, the gospel bound believers to God. That's the good news that we can be reconciled in our relationship to God because of the cross of Christ. But we're not only bound to God, the gospel says that we're now bound to one another. We're connected to one another. To embrace the gospel then is to embrace Jesus in the context of community. A new family, a new spiritual family. For Paul, the church is always local. It's always real human beings with a story, with flesh and blood, with some context of relationships. Always local. Here we are in this room. This is the church. This is the gathering of that ecclesia. We have names. Each of us are real. We, we're sitting together. Paul is exhilarated about that. Ephesians 2.19, it says, you are. If you underline, underline that. You are. You're doing better than you think because you've been welcomed into this amazing family. It's a little weird at times, a little quirky, kind of messy, difficult, but you're included. You are welcome. You're no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers. But this is the place where you can be known. I know that's hard at times. I know that sometimes breaking into a new group can be painfully difficult, and in a crowd we can feel intensely alone. But I'd like to get a conversation started about something that's been true of the river from the very beginning. We're, we're so good at this in so many ways, but I want to talk about our common life and invigorating that common life. And I think it starts with viewing the church as a family. Start to pass this idea through the filter of all that a family can be. Where they alienated find a home where divisions are identified and torn down, and where we choose to form our church more like a family and less like a shopping mall. Because in America, we're amazing consumers of goods, and that has included the church. We're shopping around for some spiritual goods and services. And I think that has hurt our social capital, as Robert Putnam has said. It made us weaker and thinner. The church as a family includes all of us, old, young, Married, single, those with children, those who are children, those who live with their parents, those who live with roommates, 
and those who live alone. We're all part of a family. We, we all, I think everyone in this room was born. <laughs> Checking, you know, and uh, we have a history, we have a past. We come out of that and how we define our family can be unique for each one of us. And we come at this idea of being part of a family in, in different ways. But we're all part of the church that is a family. I think it's going to take two things. The first thing is I want us to consider the church an extension of our family. Now, this is kind of a weird idea because in America, we have the nuclear family, right? We, 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 have, we have the parents and the kids, and we, we kind of think of families always people with kids or people that are married. And in our context, it's really easy to see that as something that's separate over here and then we leave our family, and then, oh yeah, we go to church. And Paul doesn't see that at all. He sees actually our family, our nuclear family, whatever that looks like, he sees it inside of the spiritual family, if you will, embedded inside of that spiritual family. Not separated, but connected. Seeing the church not as a consumer, and seeing the church not in competition, the goals and the values of the family. See, the biblical vision of a family, it creates this new family, but it never obliterates the natural family. They're not in competition with one another. At least they shouldn't be. In verse 15, he says that out of these two, God has created one new humanity, it's a new human race. There, there's an alternative that Jesus in his kingdom is growing out there. Something under the leadership of the lordship of Jesus that, that, is, that is being put on display, as Matt said last week. The handiwork of God that he's creating in his church as a family for the world to see. It can be done differently. My watching the family over the last couple of decades, I think our families today are so hurried, especially if you have school-age children in your world or a newborn. We're, we're always on the run, right? I mean, the schedules are jam-packed and we're just kind of moving as fast as we can, which means that we've become very fragmented. This idea of sitting down to dinner together, you know, I mean, we're just, we're just trying to make it. We've got so much on our plates. But you know, we're also, in the 21st century, we're affluent. And I, just, I, I define affluence as having options, having choice. And we have never had more options and choices in front of us for us to become savvy consumers to pick and choose and add those to the buffet line of life. And as a result of our busyness and hurry, our fragmentation, our affluence, we become very demanding. Very demanding of the goods and services out there. I don't have much time. We can pick and choose. But I'll tell you as a pastor, what I've seen too is that behind those doors, there's a lot of hurting families. A lot of hurting marriages. 
fractured relationships with kids and trying to figure this out. And can we just all acknowledge that that is part of the life we live together is that there's pain and there's hurt. And this is confusing and hard, hard to do this thing, to do it well. But unfortunately, what happens when there's tension, when there's brokenness, we often retreat quickly and we push other people out. We don't let people in. We don't allow anyone to know our real story. You know, as the early church got going, it got started in homes. I love this. In Philemon, Paul says, To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. All the churches were in homes. As the church grew, they had to meet in the biggest homes. You know, the River Church started in the Watts home, and it moved on to the Plumber's home. Homes have always been central to the life of the river. It feeds into the reality that the river's never chosen to own property. Just really big trailers that Matt has to manage. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't like trailers. But we love homes. Some of our best common life has happened in your home, around your table. The welcome of the River family into homes. It's part of our common life. It's just doing life together. That's the church. It's not a focus on consumption, but it's a focus on connections. Connections. So beautiful here. And the language that Paul uses, the language that the New Testament talks about when it talks about this, this, this relationship, these connections, the social capital, it's always family language. In fact, brothers and sisters was Paul's favorite way to talk about the church, which is really good because if you're doing the connecting time and you don't know someone's name or you should know it, hey, brother, it, just, it gets you off right there. You, know, you, just, you, use, you oh, oh, hey, sister, how you doing? You know, you've got uh, Paul's permission to do that. Right? Think about it. God is Abba, Father. He's the Father. Jesus, His Son. The church, His bride. We're adopted as children, Ephesians 1 tells us. And as a result, we are now heirs because of the Father's adoption of us into His family. So when we consider the church in extension, we have a new surrogate family. Romans 16, 13, Paul's wrapping up the letter. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. When Glenn says, Jazz, I treat you like my son. Have another, uh, uh, a, mother, a mother from another brother. <laughs> a mother from another brother? <laughs> Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians, right, James? It's, it's in the Greek. Yeah, it's in the Greek. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So we're all related in, in one way. Think about it. In this room, there's moms and dads. Surrogate moms and dads. 
There's grandparents in this room. There's aunts, there's uncles. You got some brothers and sisters. Some of you are children. Some of you are parents. And it's really funny because I'm very late to the game, but uh, we're thinking about doing a remodel in our home. And so Cynthia's been watching Fixer Upper nonstop. Anyone watch Fixer Upper with Chip and, Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? And uh, so I've been kind of over her shoulder watching this, you know, this amazing couple in this show as they're grabbing homes. And I, th- I feel like the favorite word of Joanna is shiplap. <laughs> shiplap and backsplash. You know, like, okay, all right, shiplap. I'm like, what is shiplap? So I asked my friend, Larry Olson, uh, you know, I mean, one of the greatest construction companies in the South Bay, Olson Construction. No offense to anyone else. I'm not giving him a, I'm not, I'm not giving him a plug because he's closing shop. He's done. So, uh, but I got some shiplap over here, and I thought maybe this might be a good illustration. So, you know, shiplap has these, uh, these little uh, edges on them, right? And uh, you take the shiplap and you kind of put it together and there, there you go. On, on this side, like, like tongue and groove, you know, for the house. But Larry told me, you know, when you're building a ship, you, you, you put it this way and then you tar it and everything. And then, then this sucker, this, the boat gets in the water and the water then causes it to kind of like shrink and gets completely connected together so that they're, there can't be any leaking. This is shiplap. Say it with me, shiplap. So what Paul is telling us, Paul is saying, hey man, I want you to get shiplapped, all right? That's our job. We gotta get, and, uh, and, and say, it, say it very carefully. So, I'd like us to keep talking about how we can invigorate our common life together by getting shiplapped. And I think it starts with understanding the church as a family. Where they alienated, find a home. And where divisions are identified and they're torn down. And we choose to form our church more like a family, less like a shopping mall. One more quick idea. I think it also takes us being responsible to one another. I mean, seriously responsible to one another. Now, it, it's not saying be responsible for one another because that is a, that's a burden that the Bible doesn't call us to take on. It's being responsible to one another. John 13, 34, a new command, I give you love one another As I have loved you, love one another. The calling of responsibility is extremely high. I'm talking about deep responsibility to one another. Galatians 6.10, as Paul wraps up that beautiful letter, he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. 
Last week, Matt was leading us through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It talks about us being the handiwork of God. And we've been created in Christ Jesus to create, to create something beautiful. These good works, as Matt called it, good culture. And some of that good culture happens, Paul says, by doing good to everyone, but especially to the household of believers, to the family of believers. And I I just want to say, River Church, River Family, you are so good at this. And when I say that you're so good at this, I also recognize that there are some that say, really? I feel on the outside. The call is always to expand the networks. Expand, expand, expand. We come into a place like this, we can't know everyone. We can't know everybody's story. We can't be shiplapped to everyone. But we got to be shiplapped to some. And one of the beauties of these increasing webs and networks of relationships is that they always can expand. They can always expand as we connect to one another. So when we're new and on the outside and we wonder where do we fit in, it really takes a lot of courage to risk stepping in and saying, I want to be known. I want to be connected. And when you're already in and shiplapped up both sides, it takes a lot of willingness, patience, and risk to say, there's room for another. I'll get to know you. I'll welcome you into my circle of connections. And so little by little, Those webs go out to where everybody's not connected to everybody, but everybody's connected to somebody. I was thinking about Jack and Carrie Nelson. They were sitting right over there at the beach. If you know Jack and Carrie, they're just amazing people. They're like spiritual parents and grandparents in this place. And the first night that Cynthia came home from her second cancer surgery, Carrie was at her house to help Cynthia get comfortable and know how to do this whole feeding tube thing that she had to go through. And she had dinner for me and put it in the oven. This is an amazing gift. We were visiting with Pete and Hillary Winningham, two weeks out from a newborn baby. Think about Julian and Abby and, and what it's like to have a, A newborn. Matt, think about it. Tara, what if it was right now? Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, that it would be. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Oh, man. And uh, Hillary told us, said, I came home, I was terrified. I thought, what have I done? What am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. And Carrie Nelson showed up and helped her with those mother things, you know, that that Pete and Matt and Julian have no business getting involved in. Yeah, it's just the common life. That's our common life together. Those are the good works. That's the good culture that we create, the beautiful culture that God puts on display for the world to see that family can be different, that we need each other. 
our daughter Heather, we adopted her as a baby. She's 23 now. I remember when we went to uh, court in, es in East LA. Well, we went there many, 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 many times pursuing her adoption. And we finally went for what we were told was the last time, where the judge was going to rewrite her birth certificate and put our names on as her mom and dad. And it was a celebration. And our good friends Ray and Barb Bonesteel, they'd been to court with us many times. They came. Of course, Barb has her big camera, you know, and she's snapping pictures right and left, and it's a celebration. We go out into the waiting room, and, you know, there's balloons, and we're cheering, and it's just... It's so cool, you know, and Barb is just like catching the whole thing on her camera, taking pictures everywhere. All of a sudden, this cop comes up to her and accosts her and said, wait a minute, stop. It's illegal to be taking pictures here. You can't do that. I need your camera. And I thought, wait, what country are we in right now, you know? And Barb, she was afraid she was going to get, you know, hauled off in uh, handcuffs. And the thing is, is that was 23 years ago. And Barb is still here, part of this community with Ray. She and Ray, they, they know our stories. They know the good ones, the fun ones, and they know the embarrassing ones, and they know the shameful ones. I actually punched the officer and we ran. <laughs> no, they did not take the camera. We're shiplapped uh, to their lives. And I was thinking about that with Barb and Ray. You know, we have our own separate lives. We have things we do in all sorts of different places and many other friends. But I was thinking, what, what is it? that made that happen. And one of the things is just time. It's just time. And over the course of our lives and our friendships, we've lived in different parts of the country and have been separated from one another. And I'm just thinking about, you know, young couples and work takes you all over the place and you have to uproot. And I think about young couples that move here to the South Bay and their parents are somewhere else. There's just something powerful about a community that sees itself as a real family, that hangs in there with one another over the long haul. For those of you that are young, the relationships you're building right now, just think about it. In 23 years, those relationships will be like shiplap on a ship at sea. Say that three times real fast. <laughs> <laughs> that's the call that Paul gives us I want, I want Jazz to come on up Jazz is going to lead us into communion we're going to take the offering during the first song that the band plays I'll have the band come up too but Jazz was telling me a story and I, I just feel like I want Jazz as he, as he leads us to the communion table where we come as families we always come as families we come with brothers and sisters Jazz has, um, he has a good story. Jazz, brother, come on. Thanks. 
Yeah. And for the first song, you guys, that's when we'll pass the communion bags around. And then songs number two and three is when we'll come up here to commune together as a family. Okay? Just so we can um, share that. But anyway, um, as it talks about in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, um, On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. After giving thanks, he lifted it and he said, This is my body broken for you. And as you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. It also said, on the night he was betrayed, he took the cup. After giving thanks, he lifted it, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you, and as you drink it, you do this in remembrance of me. And when I think of that, I think about, you know, Christ's body being torn apart and everything for the sake that we might be reconciled, number one, to God, but then number two, as Bill talked about, to one another. I was actually kicking it down in Mexico, one of, my, um, one of the guys that I disciple, good guy, loves the Lord and everything. And it took some humility on my part. It was kind of awkward, but I just looked at him. And I don't know what God's going to do in my life, you guys. I, 50, still not married. I don't know if that's God's plan for me to get married, but it is what it is. You know, there's a deep desire to get married, but it hasn't happened yet. But I looked at him and I said, hey, man, tell me one thing. If I turn 70 or 80 years old and I'm still not married and I don't have any family around, nieces or nephews, can you promise me that you and your wife will take care of me? And he looks and he says, Jazz, it would be my honor for my wife and I to take care of you when you get old. And that's what I think of when I think of the body, you guys. Because who knows my lot's going to be. But there was such an assurance when my brother told me that. It will be an honor for my wife and I to take care of you when you get old if you don't have family around. That's what we do now, you guys. Together, we come together as a family and we break bread together. And so I just want to invite you guys. First song, bag will pass around. Second song, let's come up as a family and partake. Father, we thank you so much that um, you sent Jesus to down across for our sins that we might experience eternal life. And um, not only do we experience eternal life, we also experience the abundant life. And even as Bill said, the abundant life isn't always going to be easy, but we know it's going to be fulfilling. And so we just relish in that, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you for being a good God. Um, we thank you for uh, all that you've given us. And even as it talks about Ephesians chapter 1, that we've been richly blessed in the heavens. And that's from here into eternity to come. So thank you so much for everything. And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.